Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit our podcast page, biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our Bible study resources, our previous episodes, and much, much more. Before we begin, however, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. We ask you to please forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And please help us now that we will be granted wisdom and understanding as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's study is entitled The Foreknowledge Conundrum. The Foreknowledge Conundrum. Our passage for this study is Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Romans eight twenty nine and 30. The foreknowledge conundrum. We're dealing today with a topic that is kind of interesting. It's quite interesting. And this topic is something that there have been many debates about in Christianity over the centuries. And it pertains to this. The gist of it is this. To what extent does God's foreknowledge undermine our free will? In other words, since God knows everything and he knows what choices we're all going to make, how can it be said that I have freedom of choice if God already knows what that choice is? Now, the Bible does use the term predestinate a few times. And I'm going to read the places where predestined or predestinate show up. Um, Our memory verse, our, our passage for the study, Romans 8, 28 and 29, contained it. But it's also found in Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 11. I'll read them by themselves. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then Ephesians 1, 11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Okay, so those are the four places, Romans 8, 28, uh, 29, and 30, 
Ephesians 1, 5 is Ephesians 1, 11. And the idea is this. Many people have a hard time understanding how God can know everything and still leave us with choice. And there have been some great preachers who have taught that uh, we are predestinated in the following way, that the good are predestinated unto righteousness and the wicked are predestinated unto wickedness. And that's a dangerous doctrine. It also requires, in order to accept that doctrine, you have to accept that God is not being entirely accurate when he says, when he talks about choice. So when Moses says, I put before you life and death, choose life. When uh, John says, or actually Jesus is speaking in John 3, right? He's speaking to Nicodemus. When Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then if you believe in predestination, in the sense of good or bad people are stuck they're just playing out some kind of a, a grand cosmic theater. If you believe that, then when God says things about choice, he doesn't mean choice because he couldn't mean choice if everyone is stuck to their roles. When Joshua says, choose ye this day whom ye will serve, right? Joshua twenty four fifteen. Again, if foreknowledge means that people have no choice. If foreknowledge cancels free will, then all those statements in the Bible pertaining to choice are misleading. And then we have a problem because God is telling us that there's something that can be done when in fact it can't. Now, I'm going to use some examples of how foreknowledge works and then we're going to deal with what the Bible says about predestination. The fact that God knows how things are going to play out in advance does not mean that the people who have to take those actions have no choice in the matter. Jesus said something very specific when discussing this issue of foreknowledge of prophecy and people's decision-making. He said, the Son of Man goeth as it is prophesied of him, right? So he was talking about his being betrayed and and um, and then going to be crucified. So the Son of Man goeth as it is prophesied of him, but woe unto that man by which he goeth. So why would you say that if the person had no choice? Right? Again, that would be disingenuous. Why say, yes, this prophecy must be fulfilled, but woe unto the guy through whom it is fulfilled. Why would you say that? Because if predestination, according to the general idea, is to be believed, you picked that guy, right? If we're going to say that God's foreknowledge constrains man's choices, and frankly, angels' choices, right? The great controversy is not just about humanity, If you are to believe predestination according to the way that many people accept it, then only God has freedom of choice, and he's forced everyone else to pick some sort of a side according to some sort of an arbitrary decision-making on his part. 
That's what you'd have to conclude. If it is impossible for you to know something in advance without controlling the people who will do it. Now, I have often given the example, if you read a book, a story, novel, watch a movie, show, whatever, and you watch it more than once, you read it more than once, you know what's going to happen. You know the plot of that story. You're not the director of the movie or the author of the book, but you know the story. And the people in that story are not controlled by you. You just happen to know where their decisions are. Now, I've had people say, but those people can't make, those people can't redecide. And that's a true statement, but it ignores the point we're trying to discuss. We're trying to show that someone can have knowledge in advance without having imposed their will on the people who are going to exercise those actions. But more than that, we only live life once. So the fact that God knows in advance what we're going to do, there is no re-choosing. The choice you're going to make, you're going to make once. For every given moment of your life, there's one time that you pass through that moment. And whatever choice you were going to make in that moment, God knew about it. But God didn't make you do it. Because the Bible is pretty clear that you have choices. The temptation in the wilderness would be pointless if Christ could not choose. Think about what you'd be saying or what you'd be accepting with this whole foreknowledge conundrum. When Jesus, the Son of God, becomes a man, which part of this is he in? Is he in the omnipotent imposing his will on everyone? Or is he now subject to this lack of freedom of choice? If he's still omnipotent and he's the one deciding how things go, then everything he's doing is for show. In fact, he is now the epitome of everything that he says he's not. And there's only one person who really wants you to believe that. There's only one entity who is whose entire purpose is to undermine the image of God, the character of God, the perception of God. Here's another example of foreknowledge. As a parent, especially if this is not your first child we're discussing, but as a parent, you know that when you put your toddler on the ground, the first thing they see on the ground, you can tell as soon as they look at certain things, the first thing they see on the ground, they're going to try and put in their mouth. You know that. You also know that if they see a shiny object, they're going to move toward it. If they see crackling stuff like a fire, they're going to head to it. You know that they're going to try to do certain things. But you are not making them do those things. You're not instructing them to do those things. And in fact, in nine times out of ten, those are the things you don't want them doing. You have a vested interest in not having them do those things. Your foreknowledge of their decision does not preclude their choice in making that decision. Because if any scenario is a scenario where you'd want to preclude their choice, 
It's those when they're infants and they're trying to ingest everything as a means of learning about it or head toward things that are dangerous, the edge of the steps, a fireplace, that shiny coin that will enter their mouth afterwards. Those are things that you want them not to do, yet they're going to do them, and yet you know about them. For knowledge does not infringe upon freedom of choice. And they're perfect examples of this. God knew that Cain was going to do what Cain was going to do. He knew it. He came to warn him away from it, but he didn't prevent Cain from doing it. You wonder sometimes why these stories are in the Bible, and then when you learn about the different kinds of conflicts and and arguments that we have about who God is and how he operates, we see sometimes why he has to let certain things happen so that it can be made more abundantly clear that he doesn't operate in certain ways. It can be difficult. The idea that God knows everything, every choice that everyone is going to make, that idea does rack the brain a little bit. And because of that idea, many people have a hard time wrapping their mind around, how is it I can make a choice if God already knows I'm going to do it? How is it called a choice? Well, you know, let's be fair. God is the only one who knows that you're going to do it. The angels don't know what you're going to do. Other humans don't know what you're going to do. Nobody knows what you're going to do except God. And even better than that, think about how often God knows the foolishness we're going to do five minutes from now or a day from now, but he doesn't treat us that way. We can certainly look in the Bible and see that he dealt fairly with people all the way up to where they did foolishness, and then he was unfair, meaning very merciful to them after they did foolishness. Think about how long he dealt with Balaam, knowing where Balaam was going to go. And even when he appears to be upset, even when the Lord appears to be upset with Balaam, he has a conversation with him about how upset he is instead of taking action. God has predestinated all of us to salvation. That's his plan. But before I go there, I'm going to answer the other part of this question that may also be roaming through your mind, which is, how does God execute prophecy if he's not going to control anyone's free will? Right? Because we have, we have apocalyptic prophecy, the prophecy primarily of Daniel and Revelation, that says that things are going to work out a certain way. So how does he work those things out a certain way without knowing what people are going to do, or in this case he does know, without forcing them to behave a certain way? Well, he doesn't have to force them. He knows what they're going to do. And he knows what he's going to do but the biggest part of prophecy, if you look carefully at prophetic utterances, if you look carefully at how prophecy is outlined, God tells us how the teams will end up. There are two sides in the great controversy. So he tells us how both teams are going to end up. He tells us how both systems are going to operate. He tells us how the devil is going to behave. The devil is already chosen to be the way the devil is chosen to be. 
What he doesn't tell you is which side you're going to be on, because that's up to your choice. So God imposes himself on the macro level. He says, these things will happen. There is going to be a good team. There is going to be a bad team. The bad team will attempt to do this to the good team. The good team will prevail. And it will prevail in this way. What he does not say is, Bob, Mary, and Sue are going to be on the good team, and -and 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 so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so are going to be on the bad team. He does not do that. He gives it, he leaves it to us whether or not we want to be on the good team or the bad team. He's already told us, don't find yourself in hell, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. And it was only prepared for them after their probation closed. He did not prepare it for them in advance. He prepared the salvation of man in advance, right? The plan to redeem man was made before man needed redeeming. But the plan to destroy the ultimately wicked was not made until after they become ultimately wicked. There are certain things that God will prepare and there are certain things that he does not. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1 and we're going to read from verse 3 to verse 12. Because again, this is Paul, and you've got to try and get in a good spot to get sentences. There are only a few of these. In this whole section that I gave you, there are only two periods. Everything else is a semicolon or comma or something. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us, in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Okay, that's long and unwieldy, or seemingly so. But the point being here, you can read the first few verses, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, Even verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Oh, that just sounds like he picked the good people, right? Verse 6, but then verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him. 
This predestination is for everyone. God designed that every son and daughter of Adam should be redeemed. Not just some. All of them. This is why he confronts Cain, who is clearly heading down a wrong path. Hebrews 3, 15-19 says, While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's a choice. That is a choice. If God was just going to pick who he wanted to pick, he wouldn't go through all of this machination. This is just a bunch of excessive time. If you're going to just say, look, I've fast-forwarded through this whole thing. Adam and Eve, you've sinned. I get it. You're sorry. Let me just show you a movie here. This shows you all your descendants, and this is the choices they're going to make. Okay? You see that? Okay? You see how that worked out? Well, because of that, Bob, Mary, Sue, Noah, Daniel, David, these guys are in, and blah, 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 blah. These guys are out. Just wanted to let you know. Could have been easy. Could have been really easy. God's foreknowledge does not eliminate our freedom of choice. We don't get the excuse that, well, you know what? If I want to do good and it's hard for me, well, that's how God made it. And even though that guy over there is doing good, well, that's how God made him. Right? Hey, I feel like doing wickedness. Must be how God made me. I'm not going to worry about it. That's not how it works. We don't get to put the onus on God for the choices we're supposed to make. We don't get to put the onus on God for the faith we're supposed to exhibit. God has given to every man a measure of faith. Ultimately, there's no conundrum. God has an awesome ability to know the end from the beginning, but he does not override our choices. The work of salvation is done by God. Right? The Godhead has planned salvation. Various members of the Godhead have different roles in the salvation and redemption process. But salvation occurs with the cooperation of man. No one is going to be dragged kicking and screaming to heaven, or, or for that matter, unconscious and inert. Every man, woman, and child on some level, on some level, is going to have made decisions that contribute to what God is doing for them. That's not to say that we help salvation, right? There's no merit that we add. But the fact of the matter is, salvation in a corporate global sense was done without any involvement on our part. Christ came and he died and we weren't even born. No one listening to the sound of my voice was, was born at that time. But now that this work has been done, now that that work up to the cross has been done, our decision, hearing his voice and acknowledging it, 
following in his footsteps. This is the way walk ye in it, our obedience to his commandments. Oh, that's now, and we need to cooperate with him for that salvation that has been established to be effective for us. It'll be effective for people who listen, and for people who don't, it won't. It's just like the ark. Noah built the ark. There were people standing around that had no contribution to the building of the ark. But the ark of safety could still have been for them if they would enter in. They didn't enter in, and therefore they did not get the benefit of the ark which was in their face. But those who did enter in got the benefit of it, regardless of how much they worked. We don't know that Noah's wife or that his son's wives did any work on the ark. We don't know. Bible doesn't say it. But they got the benefit of the ark because when the option and the choice was put before them, they exercised that choice. The people who died outside the ark didn't die because God wanted them dead. They died because they did not exercise the choice that they were given to obtain salvation and safety. Don't fall for the foreknowledge conundrum. You have a choice to make about whether or not you will accept God's salvation. You don't make his salvation better by your work, but you make it effective for you by your acceptance. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. He wouldn't need to call them after he predestinated them if predestination was the end of the matter. Would be redundant. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your love to us. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of this, to be co-laborers together with you, to be able to accept the free gift that is offered to us. Please help us to have a right understanding of the great controversy, a right understanding of the freedom of the will so that we will make the right choices and not be deceived into not making crucial choices at important moments in our history. Please bless us as we go from here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Remember, you can find Rightly Divide the Word of Truth on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you normally obtain your podcasts. Please feel free to contact us via email at biblequestions at aspzone.com. Whether you have questions, comments, or concerns, we look forward to hearing from you. If you're finding this channel to be a blessing, please take the time to share our page with others. And always keep our ministry in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study His Word.